Father, I thank you for the revival this past week. Yeah. The word that you gave Brother CT and Brother Heath to give to us. Father, I ask that you just bring the reign of revival across our community and across our great country. Father, I ask that you just be with Brother Greg this morning as he delivers the word. Lord, just cleanse him, Lord. Let him be a mouthpiece for you. Father, I pray for all the sick and hurting in our church this morning. Miss Patsy Ratliff, Brother Greg's father, Lord, I ask that you just lay your hand upon him, Lord, and just continue to touch him. Father, if there's anyone here lost this morning, Lord, I ask that you just convict their hearts, Lord, and just touch them that they not leave here without coming to know you. Father, we just ask that you bless the service this morning. Bless each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. One of my favorite songs the choir does. Love the words to it. Love the meaning behind it. None of us like to go through difficult valleys, but there's an awful lot God teaches us there. You listen as Brother Ken sings.
morning uh, when the last blood that ever needed to be shed was delivered to the throne room of God. I love this song. I hope it blesses your heart. This is called The Last Blood.
right, thank you so much for being here this morning. A special thank you for those that made your way downstairs this morning for our uh, wedding shower for Taylor and for Haley. We appreciate your attendance down there right after services. If we could get some help getting our child care, child care center sent back up, any of you folks that could help us, if you all jump in, it'll take us about 15 minutes, and we would appreciate that so very much. How many of you got to be at one night of the revival this week? Raise your hand. Wasn't that a blessing this week? Yeah, man. I loved it. I appreciate your faithfulness, your attendance. I, I had three or four folks asking me uh, about CT and his appearance at the White House, uh, and I'll share that with you during the service this morning. He was uh, uh, got to uh, be invited, one of 100 faith leaders in our, in our country that was invited to a special faith summit at the White House. Uh, for the first time in American history, uh, we have an office of faith in the West Wing of the White House. Uh, and the administration uh, talked at length about how policy decisions in our country uh, would have the input of the office of faith at the White House. I think that's a tremendous blessing. I say praise the Lord for that. I told CT that I believe that he was God's answer to our prayers, uh, that he was representing the faith-based community, reaching another generation. And then I lovingly told him if he messed up, I'd kill him. Amen. Uh, but you pray for him. God's got his hand on him and is using him. Uh, and pray for strength for him and his family. And we appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, we've got the dates for next year already set. The last weekend in August, going back to what it was last year. Uh, CT's schedule was such that he could not do this week. So we're going to be doing that, Lord willing, in perpetuity until the Lord comes back. And then Ken can decide what he wants to do after that. But uh, I'm just kidding you, buddy. But we appreciate everybody uh, being with us, supporting the meeting. Something like that does not get happened. Uh, does not get pulled off without a lot of folks helping out. And I appreciate everything everyone did to make that happen. You don't want to miss services tonight. Something very special. I'm not going to tell you till you get here. But I promise that you will be blessed tonight by being here at the services at 6 o'clock. This coming Friday night there will be a special event at First Baptist Church of Collinsville uh, for Operation Christmas Child. A young lady from the former Soviet Union will give her testimony and how one of those shoeboxes uh, from the shoebox ministry of Operation Christmas Child led to her salvation, changed her life. So we encourage you to be there uh, if at all possible. Don't forget, if you would please, uh, that Awana begins on Wednesday, September the 5th. That's just right around the corner. And then there are some date changes and some things happening that I need to make everyone aware of. Our Moving On Up Sunday, which is the Sunday that we translate up to our Sunday school classes, ages move up for children's church, junior church, all of that. You know, I, when I put that in the bulletin, it dawned on me that there is a generation who understands the uh, reference to moving on up. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say moving on up? Everybody who's 40 and above, you know it. And the rest of you needs to know what good TV is. Say amen. Oh, moving on up to the east side. <laughs> Uh, we call that moving on up Sunday. Uh, there's about 30 teenagers looking at me like I have no idea, like I got seven heads. Uh, you go home and watch Nick at night. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, that is going to be Sunday, September the 9th. There are five Sundays in September. This is the second Sunday uh, because that is Labor Day weekend, the first Sunday. So it's going to be the second Sunday that we do moving on up Sunday. And there is also a new date for, for Civil Servant Sunday. Uh, when we honor our local police officers, I was speaking uh, to a couple of the uh, officials in Henry County, and they had shared with me that uh, while they would make every effort to get folks here on the first Sunday in September, Labor Day weekend is not the best for them. And I should have checked with them before I scheduled the date. Uh, and this is for them. 
And so I don't want to do it and them not be able to be here. So we've changed the date to uh, Sunday, November the 18th. We're going to make that a special Thanksgiving Sunday. It's the Sunday before uh, Thanksgiving. And so we're going to honor, celebrate, and commemorate our local law enforcement officers uh, to show them how thankful we are for them. We'll do a meal afterwards. And uh, the two departments, one in Henry County, one in Martinsville that I spoke with, said that would work much better for them. So we're going to make it that Sunday. Uh, so keep that in mind if you would. And then uh, as we draw near to the beginning of our college starting up, uh, we also need uh, our, uh, folks to help us with the meals. Faith Baptist, uh, where Brother Toller is now, is going to also be participating. So they're taking the last half of the uh, uh, meals. We're going to do the first part. I've already signed up, Renee and me, for the first two. So we just need some folks who would please sign up for the meals. This year, the meals, uh, the, the, the college is meeting on Tuesday nights instead of Monday nights uh, to stay away from all of the federal holidays. So we're looking for folks that usually have about 10 to 15 participants, not that many. And so if you could help us out with a light evening meal, the sign-up sheet is over in our post area. So please just put your name beside of that and let us know that you would be willing to uh, help us out with that. All right, let me get all the little ones. If you're heading to Children's Church, Junior Church, everybody heading to Children's Church, Junior Church, Make your way down this morning. Come on, come on, come on. If you're visiting, we welcome you out. They're going to come around and collect any loose change that you have. We call this our Penny March, and this helps support our children's and ladies' ministries here at the church. Take off, young people.
Thank you so much, as always, for your gifts. Let me share this with you just to make a, uh, put a smile on your face. Last night, uh, uh, Renee had asked me to make a couple things for this morning. Lydia was helping me out, uh, those quiches that we had down there. Uh, she asked me to make four of them, and uh, we were late getting started, so we put them in, and Lydia and I did about 10.30. had to cook an hour, about 11.30. Lydia was getting tired, so I said, baby, you're going up, go to bed. I'm going to sit down here and study a little bit longer anyway. So at about 11.30, uh, I went, three of them were done, and so I pulled the three of them out. One of them was still really jiggly, and if you know anything about egg, you don't want jiggly eggs. Hey, amen. You don't want runny egg. So uh, I put it back in, put it on 20 minutes, and went back, and 20 minutes later, it's still just a jiggling away. So I put it on 20 more minutes, and I went back, and 20 minutes later, it's still just a jiggling away. And I went back 20 minutes later, and it still just didn't. Now, we're talking about a quiche. It should have been Kentucky Fried Chicken at this point. And it's still just as jiggling away. And finally, after going back an hour and a half, six times, I realized somebody turned the oven off. I don't know who it was, but somebody popped into my, anyway. Oh, my goodness, a mind is such a terrible thing to waste. All right, fellas, come on in. Make your way down this morning. Uh, ladies, I need y'all to play for us this morning. Uh, you be obedient unto the Lord with his tithes and your offerings. God will bless you for that. Uh, I appreciate your presence today. Let's pray. Ask God's blessings on the offering. Lord, it's good to be in your house. We sure don't take for granted. Shane already said, church doors that are open, folks that are here from heaven. Lord, I pray that you bless the preaching this morning. Lord, I pray that you bless the offering. May it be what you'd have it to be. Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us today. God, we thank you for the great week last week, but we need fresh oil for this morning's services. Lord, we can't coast on what you did last week. That won't help us for next week. We need something today. And so I pray, pray that you'd pour your presence out upon us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. stand one more time page number i'll get back together here in just a second 143 page 143 blessed assurance we'll do that first verse of course and we'll have our time of fellowship page 143 blessed assurance
Thank you so much. Very quickly, as you're making your way to your seat, I'll remind you that in just a moment we're going to collect our missions offering. Normally the first Sunday of the month, but because of Jubilee beginning last Sunday, uh, we put it off till this Sunday. Uh, as always, uh, what you give uh, during this offering, 100% of that goes to our missions, and then we are now giving 13% of tithes and offerings that come in to missions as well. I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bible while the men are making their way down. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 10, please. Luke chapter number 10. We'll collect our missions offering that support our 78 missionaries on the field. And then we will get straight into the Word. So Luke chapter number 10. And uh, we'll get straight into our message today. Lord, bless the missions offering. Thank you for every missionary that we are averaged and privileged to support. We thank you for their work. Lord, thank you for those that contribute to this important ministry. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much. Luke chapter 10 this morning. I want to begin our, our message out of verse number 30 and preach to you this morning about what is in all likelihood one of, if not the most familiar parable that the Lord provides. But I want to look at it with a very fresh context this morning and look at it through another lens than the one that we typically associate with a parable that goes by the name, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, it is so commonplace in our modern vernacular that there are in most of the states in the country a law called the Good Samaritan Law, which simply means that if someone is in some sort of physical harm and you attempt to intervene, you cannot be charged or, or sued on the basis of trying to act on their behalf. That phrase, the Good Samaritan principle, the Good Samaritan rule taken straight out of Luke chapter number 10 has found its way into our modern day language to the extent that we forget about what is the real meaning and application behind this parable. The reality is when you look at the context, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And he's delivering a message of safety, delivering a message of salvation. And a lawyer comes to him with a very important question. A question about eternal life. He asked him, Lord, what do I have to do? You can go back and read it in verse 25. What do I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? And in answer to this question, Jesus says that you got to love God and love your neighbor and then the lawyer asks a very pertinent question. Who is my neighbor? To answer this question and to deliver what I believe is a heavenly message, 
with an earthly application, Jesus gives us this parable that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'll remind you that parables are nothing more than than spiritual stories or, or what we might call applications, much like a pastor or a preacher delivers a story or a principle or an illustration. The Lord would deliver parables which are stories with earthly applications. The typical application of the Good Samaritan parable is one that says uh, when somebody's in need, we ought to give them a helping hand. And certainly that's a wonderful application. I believe that when folks come to church, they ought to get the spiritual help that they're looking for. But this parable is so fuller, so deeper, so richer than just that application. In fact, I believe that the parable of the Good Samaritan is actually a story that illustrates the beautiful image of Jesus Christ saving the sinner. Can we begin reading in verse number 30? And we'll read down through verse number 37. If you found your place, say amen. Verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took two pence, gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou? was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. The typical application of this parable is one that says when somebody, a brother in Christ is usually the application, is in dire straits and in need of a helping hand, it is contingent upon us 
to help them out in their hour of need. That's the typical story. That's the typical application. We understand, I hope you do already, that while that application is valuable, it's important, it is very much a real application that the reality of this story goes far deeper than just that. In fact, I'm going to show you this morning that every single person in this room is that poor traveler who was stolen, kicking, beaten, and left half dead. I want to show you this morning that the priest that passed by would pass you by. I want to show you this morning that the Levite that passed by still passes by. But I want to show you this morning that there is still one who has compassion on those who need him the most. I want to show you this morning that those who are in the greatest need don't have to fret over the priest that passed by. They don't have to fret over the Levite that passes by because there is still a third person who when he passes by doesn't just keep on walking. He stops and tends to the task at hand. In fact, in my mind, the story of the Good Samaritan is in reality a story of what Jesus does for the lost sinner. I want to give you a message this morning that I'm entitling From Dead to Delivered. From Dead to Delivered. Three points that we'll look at. I want you to note with me, number one, that in this story there was a traveler. There was a traveler. There's much that we don't know about him. In fact, we don't even know his name. We don't know his lineage. We don't know his ancestry. We don't know his nationality. We don't know his faith. We know absolutely nothing about this man other than his journey. For if you begin reading again where we picked up in verse 30, you very quickly discover that his journey is one of descent. If you go again into verse number 30, Scripture says, Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you were to flip to the back of your Bibles and look at your topographical maps that you in all likelihood have, you would see to yourself, well, that actually seems to be a misnomer, for the city of Jericho actually seems to be slightly north of Jerusalem. How can one be going down if they're going north? You have to remember that Jerusalem is a city that is set on a hill. It is set aside. It's the place where God dwells. So in order to go from Jerusalem to anywhere, you have to go down before you can go any other direction. So I want to submit to you this morning that as this traveler was journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho, he was in fact descending on a downward journey. Can I pause just a moment, church? Because in reality, there's an awful lot of people who are on that same spiritual declining journey. 
There's an awful lot of people who used to be dwelling in the presence of God, who used to be dwelling in the house of God. They used to be people who were sold out to God. And now when you look at them, they're no longer involved with the things of God. The lives of far too many believers today are in a very dangerous pathway of heading down away from the blessings of God. You see, not only do we know about this man's journey, but it doesn't take long before we discover his jeopardy. His jeopardy. Because of this spiritual downward journey, a journey that was approximately 14 miles on foot, this man very quickly falls among thieves which strip him of his raiment. They beat him. And if I'm understanding Scripture correctly, I believe I am. They leave him half dead. They stole from him. They kicked him. They punched him. I hope you'll amen me when I say this. Uh, the only thing they were interested in from him is what they could get out of him. They weren't interested in his well-being. They weren't interested in his spirituality. The only thing they wanted from him is what they could take from him. Would you look right here at me this morning, church? One of the things that breaks my heart all too often is that this is the reality of so many people who because of that spiritual downward journey start looking at the lure of the world and think that the world has something to offer that God doesn't. I promise you it's not very long before what they find out is that the world does not want them. The world will kick you. The world will beat you. The world will spiritually leave you half dead. And the only thing the world wants from you is what it can get out of you. The world is alluring. It's enticing. It pulls away believers. But you look at me, it does not play fair. Before you know it, you find yourself in the very same position that this man is. May I be blood this morning. I've been at this now for 18 years, pastoring 23 years preaching, and I've seen the enemy take far too much from far too many believers. Stolen blessings. Stolen privileges. Stolen opportunities. But let me pause the second church. And I need you to get a hold of this next statement because I think it's critical to understanding the message. When people find themselves in that predicament, when they find themselves having been beat up by the world, when they find themselves having been spiritually kicked by the world, they don't need a new level of criticism from the church. They don't need us wagging our tongues. They don't need us gossiping about them. They don't need us talking about this or rambling on about that. They need somebody who's going to love them in spite of their failures, love them in spite of their, it's preaching time, in spite of their mistakes. They need somebody who's going to love them in spite of how they've messed up. Because if you're honest, there but for God's grace goes every single one of us. The journey. The jeopardy. Much we don't know. But what we do know lets us know very quickly that this traveler very quickly becomes a tragedy. The story of the traveler quickly becomes a story 
of tragedy. Scholars say that on the road, and there was only one, to and from Jerusalem, going up the hill and down the hill on any given day, there would likely be some 10,000 priests and Levites who would pass back and forth. Let me say that again. Some 10,000 workers on a daily basis would attend to the tasks that were necessary in Jerusalem, the holy city, the place where God dwelt. This is not an isolated pathway. This is not a trail out in the middle of the woods. This is a road where men and women would be passing in droves. I liken it to perhaps going through Times Square in New York City. Years ago, the first time Renee and I were there, I was working with a college, Passaic County Community College in New Jersey. And whenever I travel for another college, I always try to get them the best financial deal I can in terms of where I fly in and out of. You need to know that this college had told me, uh, Dr. Hodges, make sure you fly into uh, uh, EWR, which is New Jersey. Uh, that's closest. Uh, it's a little bit further away uh, but it's, uh, the, than the others, but you need to do that. And I did not pay a lick of attention. I got on Priceline.com and I found out that LaGuardia was about $200 cheaper than EWR, the New Jersey airport. I got on my little map quest and I found that the hotel where they were putting me was only 12 miles from LaGuardia. Y'all know where I'm from. 12 miles, you can be there in about seven minutes. <laughs> So I thought, I'm going to save this college $227. I'm going to fly into LaGuardia. I'm going to get me a rental car, and I'm just going to drive. Dum, dum, dum. What I didn't see is that I had to drive not just through Manhattan, but right smack dab through the middle of Times Square. I've never been told I was number one with the wrong finger so many times in my life. Yeah, man. Up there, they say you're number one with a different finger than what we say down here in the South. Renee was with me, and I got behind a tractor trailer, and as you know, you can't see the stoplights when you get behind a tractor trailer. So the tractor trailer went, I went. And Renee screams, Greg, it's red. And here comes 27,000 people across that intersection. Well, I thought, I'm in the middle of the intersection. I'm going to do what any smart man does. I'm going to back up. I put that little rental Reno in reverse, and she says, stop, there's 200,000 behind us. And so as I'm sitting there in the middle of Times Square, this little redneck Baptist PhD preacher and that little rental car that I wasn't driving, I was wearing, I didn't just get told I was number one. Them jokers are beating on the hood as they walk across. I'm thinking to myself, who in God's name decided to come up here and go to that airport? So I share the story the next day with the college. And they said, Dr. Hodges, when you leave tomorrow, you're going to need to allot yourself four hours to get to the airport. 
I said, you've got to be kidding me. I can be at the beach in four hours from my house. And I was telling them there was no way I could do it. To, so he actually cut off the workshop two hours early uh, so that I could be allotted the four hours to get to the Ho uh, get, get from the hotel where we were meeting uh, to the airport uh, and I was almost late for the flight four hours to go 12 miles I'm driving through the middle of Times Square again and I'm smack dab at the stoplight thinking to myself thank God for the south <laughs> I share all of that to say this. When you think about that road to Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, called the Jericho Road, in fact, it is not some, some little pathway in the woods. It is a busy, a, a, a crowd-filled section, if you will, where folks are going back and forth like crazy. And over on the side of the road is someone who's beaten, bruised, left half dead, and person after person after person just walks on by. Scripture says of two people in particular that walked by. There was, first of all, the priest. You read the Scripture account that we just read, and you also see where the priest was coming down from Jerusalem. In all likelihood, he was perhaps getting off duty. His, his work uh, in, the, in the temple was over. Uh, his duties were done. So he's coming down from Jerusalem on the Jericho Road. Uh, he's off duty. Uh, and scripture says uh, that he literally looks over, uh, sees the man beaten, uh, having everything taken from him, half dead, uh, shakes his head, uh, and walks along the other side. Can I pause just a moment, church, and everybody look right here at me. That's a beautiful picture uh, of what religion will do for us. Oftentimes when I'm talking to people, uh, I will hear them say things like, well, I'm Baptist, or, or I'm Presbyterian, or I'm this, or, or I'm that. Uh, may I ask you the most important question uh, you've ever been asked? Uh, it has nothing to do with your denominational affiliation. Uh, it has nothing to do with the church you attend. Uh, but do you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior? Uh, you see, I'm not interested in your religion, uh, but I am interested in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion will leave you dead. Religion will leave you dead. Not only was there the priest, Scripture says there was also a Levite that passed by. We don't know if he was going up or down. doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that this Levite went the extra mile of even going over to where this man was laying and looking at him and still passing on by. Looking at him, seeing that he was beaten, seeing that he was in need, seeing that he was helpless. Perhaps shaking his head and saying, I hope somebody shows up to help you, buddy. And going on by. Can I tell you this morning, that's a beautiful picture of what the law will do for us. 
You see, when you understand the role of the Levite in Scripture, it was their duty to attend to what we might think of as the menial demands of the law as required in Scripture. They had specific duties in the tabernacle, all outlined in Scripture, whereas the priest represented religion, it was the Levite who represented the law. I know all of you who've been in church for any length of time, you know this. The law could not save. For what the law could not do, as Romans tells us, uh, Jesus Christ uh, in his crucifixion did for us. Uh, but let me give you what is the application to this today. There are far too many people uh, who think to themselves, uh, I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm going to get to the other side because I am better than X. And inevitably, who they compare themselves to uh, is some of the most derelict of those that are. But would you look right here at me? My Bible is very clear. There is none righteous. No, not one. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how much better than X, Y, Z you think you are. You will never, ever, 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 ever be good enough to save yourself and to get to heaven. Bible is so specific that all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. According to Christ Jesus. The journey is jeopardy. You understand that left to the Levite law, left to the priest religion, this man's going to die. This man's had the life beat out of him. This man's had everything stolen from him, left to himself, left to religion. He's doomed. But thank God, there was a third one that passed by. You see, where there was a traveler that gave way to tragedy, there was someone who came by with a touch. Thank God, I think we should stop right now and just shout for about 20 minutes over the fact that there was still somebody who was passing by. Notice what he does. Because Scripture describes him in verse 33 as something got very very unusual. Verse 33 says, There was a certain, what's that word, church? Samaritan. Samaritan. Unfortunately, because this story has become so popular in our vernacular, uh, we think a Samaritan is someone who does a good deed. Nothing could be further from the truth. Samaritans, please, please pardon what I'm about to say. Uh, this is exactly how they were thought of. Samaritans were quote-unquote half-breeds. They were hated by the Jews. During the time of Christ, Israel is divided into three territories. There's the northern province of Galilee. There's the southern province of Judea. And in between, in the middle, there is the middle province of Samaria. They're populated with people who during the 70 years dispersion married outside of the Jewish faith. So when the 70 years was over, they were allowed to come back. And these people were kind of Jewish, kind of not. They didn't go to Jerusalem to worship. They set up their own place of worship. They were absolutely despised by the Jews. To the extent that uh, when it was time to go from Galilee to Judea or Judea to Galilee, instead of going directly north to south, 
people would go out into the wilderness uh, and make a great big semicircle just to keep from mingling with Samaritans. In John chapter 4, when it's time to go back from the southern province to the northern province, uh, Jesus says, wait a minute, boys, uh, I must needs go through Samaria. And the disciples said, you got to be kidding me. Why would you go through Samaria? What would you do there? There's nobody you would interact with there. They're half-breeds. We hate them. We despise them. Can we stop just a moment and say, thank God uh, the one we served uh, here, man, doesn't look on the outside. Uh, He doesn't look at what society cares about. Uh, Honey, he looks on what's on the inside of us. He doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as what we can be. His character is described as a Samaritan. But his character quickly gives way to his compassion. Look at verse number 33, if you would, please. Notice what Scripture says. Certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds. He went to him. And in our vernacular, we might say he he dressed his wounds. You see, in in, in reality, this Samaritan saw somebody who was hurting and he stopped to help. He saw somebody that was hurting, that was wounded, and he stopped to help. You know what I noticed today, folks? My wonderful opportunity to serve our college and our community and our church, you know what I noticed? That there are people all around us who have been beat to death by this world. People whose pasts are full of mistakes. People who've done so many things that they wish they'd never done. And they come to church, they come to believers looking for somebody that will administer a little bit of healing. And 90% of the time, they find people who will just kick them a little bit harder. Let's be honest, church. Uh, Most everybody in the building, this preacher included, uh, has got some wounds of the past uh, that had to be healed uh, in the present uh, before we could ever get to the future. Thank God. That's the kind of Jesus we serve. Compassion. His character. But notice his contribution. I got to be honest. This is the part that blows my mind. This is the part that just gets me goosebumps on top of sweaty goosebumps. Because I want you to notice what this Samaritan does. What does he give to this man? Two things. You read about it in the very next verse, verse 5. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. He bound up his wounds, pouring in the wounds oil What does that mean? Well, if you know anything about Scripture, if you're a student of typology, you know that wine in the Bible always represents the blood. At the Last Supper, when Jesus is delivering uh, the last official act of his earthly ministry to his uh, disciples, uh, he gives them bread, uh, which represents his 
body and he gives them wine, the juice of the vine, which represents blood. And you will notice that, 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 that he doesn't pour in the mouth the wine. He pours in the wounds the wine. You've been at my church any length of time. You know that I've told you this. Uh, wine in Scripture is not like we think of today with wine in the Bible. Uh, yes, it has an alcoholic content, uh, but it is the equivalent uh, of mouthwash. Uh, it is one part alcohol to ten parts water. Uh, but you tell me, if you've got a cold sore in your mouth uh, and you gargle with Listerine, what happens? Woo, glory. It don't take but about three seconds for you to know, ouch, I didn't even know that was there. Why? Because it's got alcohol in it. It's a cleansing agent. Yeah, man. So the first thing, after stopping the bleeding, after dressing the wounds, this Samaritan does is pour a little bit of wine into these wounds. Why? Because what this fella needed more than anything was to be cleansed. What this fella needed more than anything was to have the blood applied. So in that moment, he pours the wine in the blood or in the wounds, and it likely hurt. It likely stung. We call that conviction today. But thank God. There's still a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And after he's cleansed them, he pours in oil. You see, back then, you know this, but they didn't have Neosporin. I grew up in a house where Neosporin cured everything. You could build anything with duct tape, and you could clean anything with Neosporin. You see, if you look on the back of Neosporin or Vaseline, you will very quickly discover that it is a petroleum-based product. You know what petroleum is another word for? Oil. You see, oil in Scripture is always a type of the Holy Spirit. And in here, after this man's wounds have been cleansed, the next thing that has to happen is he's got to be sealed. The, yeah, man, the wounds have got to be sealed up. Yes, you've gotten the infection out of the inside, but now you've got to keep the outside from getting on the inside. And so he begins to pour oil over the wounds, thus sealing those wounds to make sure nothing can happen. I don't know about you, but I sure have messed up a lot since I got saved. I got saved June the 13th, 1976, seven days shy being seven years old. Not a lot I remember about it. Here's what I know. I've messed up a lot in the last 40 little years. <laughs> Shut up, Courtney. I've messed up a lot in the years since I got saved. But I don't have to worry about losing that salvation. You know why? Because after the blood was applied, after the cleansing agent was applied, then I got sealed with the Spirit of God, and I'm sealed into the day of redemption. I can't get what I didn't earn. I can't lose what he gave me. Last thing this morning, we go from his character, his contributions, his compassion, and finally the church. The church? The church? What do you mean, preacher? There's no church in this story. 
I beg to differ. Would you amen me that, that just cleansing the wounds and sealing them would have been enough? I mean, already this fellow's done what nobody else did. This fellow did what religion couldn't do. This fellow did what the law couldn't do. But thank God this compassionate Samaritan doesn't stop there. Notice what he does. Go to verse 35 if you would. Verse 34. Sent him on his own beast. Brought him to an end. And took care of him. Can I tell you that I've read this story a thousand times? I've preached on it a half a dozen times. And I never saw the church application to just a few weeks ago when I went and looked up the biblical definition of the word inn. You see, when we think of an inn, we think of a hotel. Just a place to stay the night. But here's the biblical definition of an inn. A public house to all who needed a rest. A wayside place designed to provide aid to weary and wounded travelers to assist them in reaching their final destination. I don't know about you, that sounds an awful lot like church to me. And I can, can I just pause a moment to, and say thank God. Uh, he could have just saved us. Uh, he could have just sealed us. Uh, he could have just left us there. Uh, but thank God he created the church, uh, the place where we could get rest, uh, the place where we could get nourishment, uh, the place where we could get fed uh, so that we could continue on the journey. And notice verse 35. Because what you see next is a beautiful image of what our Savior does for the bride of Christ. On the morrow, when he departed, he took two pence and gave them to the host and said, Take care of him. Whatever thou spendest, I'll repay thee. Can I give it to you another way? The Samaritan said, Put the tab on my account. Whatever he needs, I got it. Whatever their penalty is, whatever the cost is, uh, whatever the payment is, I'll take. Here's something in advance, uh, and, and, and I'll pay the rest later. Uh, I will pay for it all. I've been saved for a lot of years. And here's the one thing I've learned. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain snow. And the last thought I want you to see for what the good Samaritan says to the innkeeper there in verse number 35 when I come again. Amen. The innkeeper standing there looking at this beaten disheveled fella the innkeeper perhaps says, I've got a room just for him. I've got a place where he can find healing. I've got a place where he can be taken care of. And I can just imagine as this Samaritan is walking away, a journeyman saying, but what am I going to do? You took care of me all night. You can't leave me now. I can imagine 
that Samaritan's saying, don't worry, I'll be back. Hear me? You stay right here. You keep doing what you need to do. You tend to you and yours. I've paid for it. I'll be back. I'll be back. Can I conclude this morning by saying, thank God for our end. Thank God he's given us a place to be fed. Thank God he paid for it all. Thank God we're just hunkered down waiting for the sound of the trumpet. Undoubtedly, there's some of you this morning you're in the same position as that journeyman. You've been kicked by the world. You've been beaten up by the enemy. And maybe even left half dead spiritually. Religion has let you down. People have let you down. Can I introduce you to someone who will never, ever disappoint you? Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want you to bow your heads with us this morning. Nobody's looking now. We're not going to have a long invitation. I appreciate your kindness towards me while we preach what I believe the Lord laid on our hearts. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm asking you to be obedient to the Spirit. If you're here today and you say, Preacher, that, that journeyman describes me. I've been spiritually beat up, messed up. I've been spiritually wounded. And I need the touch of the Master. I've never, ever met Him. I don't know Him as Lord of my life. I want to encourage you to step out right now. But then I want to speak to the second group, which is most of us. You're in the end. You're waiting on the return of the Lord. And in the meantime, you want to help some other travelers. You, you, you want to help others who are being beat up by this world. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. That you know is in the same position as that traveler. Depending on self, depending on religion, depending on nothing at all. And you want to make your way to this altar, why don't you step out right now? There's a lot of folks who've already moved. Come on. Come on. Don't wait for somebody else. Quickly, we're not going to have a long invitation. I'm going to have Ken sing one verse. Come on. Come on. Come on. All over. Both sides. Come on. Come on. One verse, Brother Ken. Sing one verse for us. Jesus, Jesus. 
us paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the movement of God in our midst. Lord, I pray for every person in the room tonight, this morning, who's like that weary traveler, beat up, bruised by this world. Lord, I've been there, but I'm so glad there was a healing touch passed by my way. Thank you for your presence today, for speaking to your people. Bless us as we depart. Bring us back tonight at 6 o'clock as we rejoice one more time over the good things of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed this morning, 6 o'clock. We need your help downstairs uh, to get our child care center set up. If you'll meet us downstairs, folks, 6 o'clock tonight, you don't want to miss it. <laughs>